a junior broadcast journalism major at the illustrious and presidential Howard University. I am also from the great city of New Orleans, Louisiana. Today, I am joined by two of the Roden Fellows, Ashton Edmonds and Parker Owens. How you doing, everybody? My name is Ashton Edmonds. I am a senior at Clark Atlanta University, and I'm happy to be on. Hi, everyone. I am Parker Owens. I am a senior at Morehouse College, and I am also thrilled to be here. Today, we are also welcomed by Mr. Bill Roden. Thank you, Alex. We also have a fellow bison with us today, Desiree Williams. She is a junior broadcast journalism major from Chicago, Illinois. She is also a Howard University student ambassador and student leader. Desiree, how are you today? I'm well, how are you? I'm doing great. So we have a lot to cover, so let's dive right in. Last week, we as HBCU students experienced a pivotal moment in history with the election of Vice President-elect Kamala Harris. Kamala, a graduate of the illustrious Howard University, is the first Black woman, woman of color, and first HBCU grad to be elected to this esteemed position. As a Black woman, this was an incredible moment to experience, and we are so excited to see what is ahead. Desiree Williams, a student at Howard University, wrote a piece for the undefeated about how much this moment means to her as a Black woman. Ms. Williams, can you walk us through the piece and say what inspired you? Um, what really inspired me about Kamala winning um, the vice presidency of the United States was just as stated like in the article, it was a testament to what Howard women are truly capable of. Um, Howard women are truly, they make it happen um, in my opinion. Howard women are on their grind. They walk around with their heads held high, um, whether they're D9 or whether they're not. Um, and I feel like going to Howard and being a woman at Howard is just, it's amazing within itself. And to see a woman a bison woman um, to be in the presidential office. Like I said, it's just a true testament to what a Howard woman is truly capable of. Um, it just shows that a woman from Howard never stops. She always grinds. She's always on her P's and Q's. She knows how to party at, on the weekends and go to class on Monday and drag out that 4.0. Um, and so that's truly what a Howard, that's what it means to be a Howard woman on your grind um, and still making it happen and, and inspiring people all around the world. Right, right. Thank you for that. Um, and I know we as Howard women are super excited to see what she's going to do for us, especially as the first Black woman in this position. Uh, so thank you, Desiree. With Kamala Harris as Vice President-elect, it is also evident that by graduating from an HBCU, you can reach the White House. Do you guys feel that this will increase enrollment in HBCUs? Desiree, you can go first. I definitely think it will increase enrollment in HBCUs, um, especially Howard. I mean, I know we can get kind of bi biased towards Howard, and this just kind of made the price 
costs go up. But I honestly think it will increase the enrollment in HBCUs because a lot of people don't think that you can become all these great things by attending an HBCU. I know for me, I didn't know anything about HBCUs until I was like in eighth grade. Um, and that's kind of ridiculous. I'm a black student, a black individual and didn't know anything about a Howard or a Spelman or Tuskegee University. I thought that in order to be successful, I had to go to the Harvard or the Yales or the Michigan States or, you know, those type of colleges and institutions. Um, but then when you look at greatness coming right out of these black institutions, when you look at the, you look at these people who are doing great things in the world, um, you just see that HBCUs produce a lot of great people. And it's fun fact how it produces more African-American doctors than any other institution, more than Harvard, more than Yale. Um, and I just feel like it's, it brings exposure to the greatness that happens um, H at HBCUs. Yeah, I can I can definitely echo what Desiree said. I feel like um, this year, 2020 alone has shed so much light on HBCUs um, from the presidential election to athletics, you know, to the to the world just uniting um, in the Black Lives Matter protest. I feel like more students um, are now educating themselves more on what HBCUs are. And I feel like um, it's just gonna bring um, more black students from across the world to these institutions. Cause they're realizing that, you know, like what Desiree said that, you know, HBCUs produce black excellence. So I definitely feel like the enrollment is gonna increase at all HBCUs. And I think also it adds a financial aspect. We see more donations to HBCUs this year than we've ever seen before. And uh, especially with uh, Kamala Harris now being the vice president-elect, you're going to see more people want to invest into a school that's producing uh, people of that caliber and that high of a stature. And seeing that glass ceiling get bro broken is really incredible. I agree with um, each of you. I definitely think that there will be an increase in the enrollment. Uh, I Honestly, I think there's already a shift in student athletes and how they're realizing what HBCU can offer, specifically with Makora Maker, who now plays for the Howard University basketball team. So with the election of Kamala Harris, students can now realize that their HBCU diploma is more than just that. Um, it is a gateway to an endless amount of opportunities and now it can lead you to the position of the vice presidency. Does the fact that, you know, she's biracial, does that mean anything? Uh, I know everybody's embraced her as being black. Do you think that uh, by going to an HBCU, you know, black folks tend to be more accepting of that or on campus, has there been any conversation? You know, people say, well, you know, she, you know, she's black or she's Asian or is she Indian? Has there been that kind of conversation? As someone who is Black and Asian at a HBCU, I do think that uh, it's a lot more accepting than the general populace because uh, HBCUs are all about uh, having that family or uh, relationship and having and bringing people in. Um, we saw like Morehouse has like white students too. They have Hispanic students. Their HBCUs are not all Black institutions. I feel like a lot of people don't really understand that. They're just institutions that are more, that are black focused, just like every other institution is a white focused institution. Um, and the conversation around uh, by being biracial and being multiracial, I think there's a worthy conversation of having, but it's never one of exclusion. And it's never one of saying that you don't belong here because of uh, your, uh, the other racial makeups that, uh, that you have. 
So for me, it was uh, being biracial has always been uh, like my number one identity, especially because of like when my parents grew up. So my dad was born in Kentucky in 1947. And my mom, yes, you can do the math on that. And yes, and my mom is a Korean immigrant uh, who came right before the uh, uh, the influx of Asian immigrants in 1965. So they were always, they have a deep root into their culture. So I've always had a deep, uh, deep connection and deep understanding of uh, both of those cultures. And being biracial doesn't mean that I'm half black and half Asian. It means I'm black and Asian. And at all the same time, I'm, you know, I'm a Korean, I'm a Korean kid and I'm a black kid and I'm have to deal with the struggles and the confusion that comes with that. Um, and Morehouse, Morehouse opened my eyes a little bit on how, how to perceive not how to perceive my blackness necessarily, but how how to enter a space without worrying so much about what others thought about me and how to be confident in my own skin because I you're you know I'm never going to be the majority going into any room uh, even at an HBCU because of being because I'm mixed, but I'm still able to uh, understand why I'm still able to add to the conversation and what I'm able to add to both. Uh, sides to both Korean people and to Black people uh, is something that Morehouse helped me realize. Continuing on to the topic of HBCUs, one famous family of athletes is making noise, but their last name isn't Ball. NFL legend Deion Sanders is now the head football coach of Jackson State University, and very recently his son Shadur Sanders a four-star quarterback prospect decommitted from Florida Atlantic University and has decided to follow his father to JSU. Fellows, what are your thoughts on this? Parker, you can go first. Um, I mean, I have a lot of questions about how this is all going to work out. Uh, my first is, is Shador going to live on Jackson State's campus? Because that's a standard of living that uh, the son of Deion Sanders is probably not used to. Um, but in all seriousness, I do think that this is great uh, for HBCU athletes and for HBCU sports. He obviously is a big name and he brings a lot of uh, media attention to, to the sport and to the school. And I think it's specifically we're going to see uh, it work out better for him. And he has a different opportunity because of who his father is um most a big criticism of athletes going to hbcus is that they're not going to get the same level of coaching and training that uh pwi students would get however because he's the Sanders kid there's no door that's closed for him and there's nothing that's going there's nothing that he can't access uh going to jackson state that he wouldn't be able to access at any other institution the only issue I foresee having with uh, Shador Sanders is he already doesn't play in one of the he already plays in one of the weaker divisions, uh, high school divisions in Texas football, and he's obviously not going to get a whole bunch of high level competition at Jackson State um, just because of the nature of college football. So it's going to be interesting when he's trying to transition into the pro level how that uh, kind of seems through, but. 
he is a really talented uh, player. And again, he's going to get all the coaching and training and help that he needs in order to have all the physical tools. It's just going to be a matter of what pro scouts see in him uh, playing against, you know, some of the other schools that he's playing against. But, but it seems like, I mean, you seem like you got, you want to have it both ways. In one way, uh, Desiree, you know, is saying how seeing Kamala uh, being, you know, going from an HBCU uh, to the White House shows that you can do anything. But then you're arguing that, well, but will, you know, uh, Deion's son going to Jackson State limit him? It seems like, from a, I mean, if you get to the White House from HBCU, doesn't it make sense that you could also get to the NFL uh, from HBCU? Uh, I I will say that we obviously uh, we see Darius Leonard, who's arguably the best linebacker in football. He's from HBCU. Uh, Tariq Cohen's a real dynamic running back for the Chicago Bears. He's in the NFL. I do think Shador is going to make it to the NFL just because his uh, natural gifts kind of get him there. And he's going to have again, he's going to be able to have all the eyes and all the training on him. Uh, but the only uh, reservation I would have about saying that he's going to be like a first round pick or anything is that intellectually HBCUs can stand up and hold up with anybody. There's no question about that. Uh, Martin Luther King is obvious is arguably uh, the smartest man in the history of America. And guess what school he went to Morehouse college. Um, of course I'm gonna flex a little bit, but, but athletically there's different uh, obstacles that, HBCU athletes are going to have to overcome, uh, such as the training regimen, such as uh, the level of competition, because not everyone can be, not everyone can be athletic, but uh, you can, you know, teach people and you can educate them and you can't find a better education than at an HBCU and a more holistic education at an HBCU. Definitely. Um, I think this was the best move for Jackson State. You know, in the 2019 season, they went four and eight overall, three and four in their conference and one and four at home. Um, so they didn't really have a strong and dominant team. Um, they had they basically played two quarterbacks, Derek Ponder, who was their starting quarterback. He only had 12 touchdowns and threw seven interceptions last season. And now he transferred to Midwestern State. And um, Jalen Jones, who was a freshman last year, he had nine touchdowns and threw six interceptions. So. They kind of rotated quarterbacks. Um, I just didn't feel like they really had a strong offensive core overall. Um, when you look at Shadur Sanders' high school st statistics, um, in the last three seasons, not including his senior season, he threw for 8,000 – oh, wait, my bad. My bad. He threw for 8,925 yards, 123 touchdowns, and 19 interceptions. And in his junior season alone, he threw for 3,000 – 477 yards, 47 touchdowns, and only four interceptions. So I feel like once he steps foot on Jackson State's campus, he's going to make an immediate impact for this football team. Wow, those are some very um, interesting stats. Ashton, thank you. Um, and by the way, you are a student at Clark Atlanta. So what has been the latest with Georgia and the political pandemonium that's happening statewide? Yes, it's been it's been pretty funny down here in Georgia. I know um after the election when Joe Biden was announced that when was announced that he won, um in front of State Farm Arena, which is where the Atlanta Hawks play, 
it was Trump supporters on one side and Biden supporters on the other side. And they was just like just going at each other. And um, it was it was pretty funny to see. But I really feel like um, what Stacey Abrams did this year was was very historic, you know, fighting voter suppression and registering 800,000 new voters in the state of Georgia to um, help Georgia get blue since 1992. I think that was very monumental. So before this presidential election, did you guys know anything about Kamala Harris? Um, I did. Uh, she actually came and visited Morehouse when she was still in the presidential, uh, the Democratic primary. And I also think, well, especially for Morehouse and especially for like Atlanta, there is there hasn't been a Democratic candidate for any office that in the state of Georgia or in a presidential election that didn't come to the AUC. And I think a big reason for that is because they've already seen the importance of HBCUs and how much uh, value that HBCU students have in trying to win any election. And just optically, it's not a good idea to try to win anything if you don't have the support of uh, Morehouse, Spelman, and Clark Atlanta in Atlanta as a Democratic candidate. So I've definitely seen that uh, now that she's got, now that Kamala specifically has gotten this national attention, that you see the importance of campaigning and reaching out to essentially who should be your uh, main group. And ha having seen that uh, Biden and Kamala won the state of Georgia, um, you see the, the importance of that. Now I would like to leave all of you with the parting words of my own. Lastly, in the past two years, we as the younger generation have mourned the loss of several young aspiring rappers and artists from Nipsey Hussle, Pop Smoke, Huey, King Von, Juice World, and Mo3. And while their personal lifestyle decisions may have aided in the slightest bit to their passing, it truly leaves us to think about the lasting legacy that they wanted to leave behind. Each of these artists wanted to inspire, create, and teach us something great through their music. But by being so young, I don't believe that they had the full opportunity to do so. However, I think that this will challenge us as the younger generation to think about what legacy we as HBCU students and change makers want to leave behind. Will we create and inspire or will we use all that we can to make a difference in the world around us? And with that, ladies and gentlemen, that is all we have for today. I would like to thank both of our esteemed guests for joining us, Mr. Roden and Desiree Williams. And thank you all for listening to this podcast wherever you are tuning in. Thanks for listening to the Roden Fellows podcast. This show is produced by Jonathan Scott and co-hosted by Parker Owens and Ashton Edmonds. Special thanks to Tarika Foster Brasby and the ESPN digital audio content team. A million thanks again to our special guest, Desiree Williams. I'm Alex Williams and I've been your host. Get all of the HBCU 468 podcasts by subscribing to The Undefeated on the Listen tab of the ESPN app. Join us next time for another HBCU podcast 
And don't forget to make The Undefeated your go-to site for a soulful look at sports and entertainment. Oh, 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 oh,